This is the primal scream of a dying regime. Pray for our enemies, because we're going medieval on these people. You're just not got a free shot all these networks lying about the people. The people have had a belly full of it. I know you don't like hearing that. I know you try to do everything in the world to stop that, but you're not going to stop it. It's going to happen. And where do people like that go to share the big line? MAGA media. I wish in my soul, I wish that any of these people had a conscience. Ask yourself, what is my task and what is my purpose? If that answer is to save my country, this country will be saved. Warrior. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bass. We've come to the time in the season when family and friends gather near to offer a prayer of thanksgiving for blessings we've known through the years. To join hands and thank the Creator Now when Thanksgiving is due And this year when I count my blessings I'm thanking the Lord He made you This year when I count my blessings I'm thanking the Lord He made you I'm grateful for the laughter of children, the sun and the wind and the rain, the color of blue in your sweet eyes, the sight of a highball and train, the moonrise over a prairie, an old love that you've made new. This year when I count my blessings, I'm thanking the Lord He made you. This year when I count my blessings, I'm thanking the Lord He made you. And when the time comes to be going, don't be in sorrow and tears I'll kiss you goodbye and I'll go on the way grateful for all of the years I thank for all that you gave me for teaching me what love can do and Thanksgiving Day for the rest of my life I'm thanking the Lord he made you Thanksgiving day for the rest of my life I'm thanking the Lord he made you Okay, that's the uh, great uh, Johnny Cash, and no better way to kick off uh, Thanksgiving Day and our Thanksgiving special. I want to thank everybody uh, for joining us. You're in the war room, uh, and I've got a very uh, special next couple hours we're going to spend with each other, as I'm sure 
a lot of the uh, war room war fighters or the war room posse are uh, on the road now to um, to mom's house or grandma's house or to friends uh, getting together, and we'll spend a couple hours and uh, and go through the American tradition of Thanksgiving and what it means for our nation and uh, what it means for us as a people. I couldn't think of a better uh, way to do this than Larry Swikert, the uh, co-author of the Patriots' History of the United States, which really, when it came out. I think not just set a new tone, but kind of uh, brought back to people what they had forgotten, even conservatives, about the great love of this country, its cultures, its uh, its mores, its uh, um, you know customs and traditions. So let's bring in uh, Larry. First off, Larry, tell me about walk me through um, just uh, before we get into the Thanksgiving part of it. I want to go back and talk about the Patriots history and particularly for those people maybe not familiar with you or not familiar with the book, how important this book was for the culture of the United States, not just for education, for learning. But when you guys, this book came out, it was it was a cultural it was really had a big impact on on culture overall. It was like, wow, we never really thought of, you know, a lot. Some conservatives had. But even most conservatives hadn't in the in the whole nation. We had kind of lost a lot of what you and your co-author kind of the framing you put into the uh, the country's history. Tell me about the how you wrote it, how you pulled it together uh, and why it was important. We're going to get into all the Thanksgiving aspects today, particularly well, the pilgrims and the first Thanksgiving. And then we'll talk about Lincoln and the Civil War and the, the traditions of what President Lincoln did the national holiday. What, so tell us first about the Patriots history. Well, uh, when Mike and I started to even talk about writing this, we were both college professors and we taught U.S. history for a number of years, and we were not satisfied with any of the textbooks. And some of the ones you might consider more conservative or traditional, like the National Experience or the American Pageant, had steadily drifted to the left, especially after Reagan. I used to joke that if you wanted to do a pregnancy test on a textbook to uh, go to the index and look up the Reagan section, you'd immediately find out where it stood. So we started working on this in the late 90s. And honestly, Steve, we didn't think we were going to get it published. We thought we were going to have to go to Kinko's or FedEx and get it, you know, spiral bound and sell it out of the back of a, a van like you would, you know, plastic straws in California, you know, study plastic straws, Patriots history, you know, something like that. And uh, it was 2,000 pages when we turned it into the publisher. And my agent said, no, that, that's not going to work. So he chopped 1,800 uh, pages. And then the editors went to work and tried to chop another 200 pages. And finally, we got it down to the magic number of under 1,000 pages, which brought it to a price point where they thought they could afford to sell it. And it, it had really good initial success. I mean, it was uh, accepted everywhere by... Claremont Review of Books, National Review, everybody except the New York Times uh, loved it and, and reviewed it very well. And it quickly became a staple among homeschoolers, which by the late 2010s, I started to do homeschool conventions because I saw, wow, these people are using my book. Maybe I ought to go out and meet some of them and talk to them about the book. So the book is now in its fifth edition and its 34th printing. That's not bad for a thousand page history book, right? And uh, we've updated it steadily uh, with new research. And probably the most important change that we made was beefing up the introduction and the early part of the book with 
what we call the four pillars of American exceptionalism. And that's something we'll get into today as we talk about the pilgrims, because they are the epitome of the four pillars of American exceptionalism. I just want to go back when you when you had the idea and you, you had it. So you guys did this totally on the come. You didn't have any publishers lined up when you first started going to publishers. Was the book rejected by people or was it automatically uh, people thought this was exciting? And, and people should understand 2000 pages in modern publishing. I mean, modern publishers wouldn't publish War and Peace in its original just because the cost of doing it, would it, Larry? I mean, they would sit there and go, hey, uh, can you cut, can you take about 500 pages off? Can you make it a little tighter? So when, when you first, when you first went around to talk to publishers, what was the feedback you got and who were the, who were the publishers that really got serious and, and took the project on? Well, we had an agent at the time. He's now deceased, Ed Knappman. And Ed and I had worked together on a bunch of uh, encyclopedia projects and facts on file books and things like that. And he was uh, really good to me, really helped me out in my, my career, getting me into more uh, pop publishing. And just before this book, I had, I had taken a turn at a pop book as opposed to an academic book called um, The Entrepreneurial Adventure. And I wrote it to be a history of business in America because teaching business and economic history, I wasn't happy with any of the business or economic history books. And so I combined business and economic history into a single book. Well, my mistake was I went with Harcourt Brace, which was a textbook publisher. So I didn't still get my goal of trying to see how I could get things out to the general public. So I, we talked to Ed. We said, we want this to be a, a popular uh, book. And if you can't sell it, no big deal. Like I say, we'll sell it out of the back of a van or something. So I do not know how many publishers Ed took it to. All I know is he came back and he said, guys, we've got two offers. And one was a publisher I had never heard of. But the other was, he said, Sentinel, which is um, a subdivision of Penguin Books. They're starting a new imprint, a conservative imprint called Sentinel. And they want this book to be the premier title in their leadoff season. And so uh, we ended up with an awesome editor. Uh, and uh, she um, uh, was a devout Catholic. And uh, I recall her telling me that she, as she was working on the book, she looked down across her New York flat to um, a Marxist bookstore down there across the street. And she said, you know, someday you guys are going to have to be carrying this book. <laughs> so uh, uh, it was really amazing to write. And then one of the oddest things that occurred is that just as our book was released, um, Tom Woods, and you probably know who Tom is, Tom had a book come out called The Politically Incorrect Guide to American History, which was kind of a competitor. It wasn't nearly the depth of Patriot's history or the analysis, but it, it was the leadoff book to what was a very popular series called the Politically Incorrect Guide series. And he beat us by about three weeks in getting out. And he got on all the talk shows, Fox and all the rest. Here's a new conservative textbook. So interestingly, when we came out of the gate with this great new book, uh, we didn't have a whole lot of uh, media coverage. The first person to interview me about the book was Laura Ingram on her show. She did a great job. And then the great Rush Limbaugh called me up and interviewed me for his Limbaugh letter 
And to this date, that was one of the best interviews I ever had. Rush listened to you, and and he 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 wasn't ready to ask the next next question until he had heard what you had answered to the last question. And uh, I think he did us a, a a great service. When you and your uh, and your writing partner Mike sat down, how did you break it out? How did you say, "Hey, we're not happy with anything. We teach it for a living. We clearly love history. We studied it. How did you take this entirely new look?" that quite frankly really did revolutionize people thinking about American history. Well, how did you guys conceive it? Well, that's, that's a great question, Steve. I met Mike Allen at the Western history conference in about 1991 or 1992 in Albuquerque. He was a historian of the West and the Mississippi river Valley. He also knew colonial history pretty well, which is not my specialty. I'm not as strong in colonial history as I am in some later histories. And um, then we kind of forgot about each other. And when I decided after writing Entrepreneurial Adventure, I want to see if I can do a national U.S. history book, I began looking for co-authors. And I went through maybe two or three other guys, strangely enough, political scientists, because I thought that they would lend um, a little more expertise to the early period in the Constitution. And um, then I remembered Mike. And I said, you know what? He, he fits everything I need uh, to, to flesh this out better than any of these guys. So we got together by phone and he took the uh, colonial period. For the most part, we were each adding stuff and putting stuff in constantly. He took uh, Articles of Confederation. He did the majority of the West chapter and I did much of the rest of it, again, with him putting in significant amounts of stuff. And in our very first iteration, the hardcover version, we had these uh, boxes uh, in which we would do vignettes about people like Mike Fink and Daniel Boone and other people like that. And unfortunately, as the book has has gone on to be revised many times, we still have to keep it under a thousand pages. So we lost a lot of those. So what we did was we put a lot of those on the Patriots History USA website, and today it's available on the World History. Offer a prayer. Larry, we'll get to all that. Let's take a short commercial break. Co-author of the Patriots History of the United States. We're here on Thanksgiving morning. We're talking about the traditions, customs, history of the of first Thanksgiving and really the holiday season overall. The Thanksgiving holiday. Short commercial break. Be back in the world. This year when I count my blessings, I'm thanking the Lord he made you. This year when I count my blessings, I'm thanking the Lord he made you. You know what's never good? When your nation's supposed authority on economic policy completely misses the flashing red lights of impending inflation. Now, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has finally admitted, quote, there's been an unanticipated and large shocks to the economy that have boosted energy and food prices and supply bottlenecks that affected our economy badly that I didn't at the time fully understand, end quote. You know who understands the real threat of inflation? People who invested in gold and silver with Birch Gold Group. They're protecting their savings from a highly turbulent economy by diversifying their 401k or IRA into gold, physical gold. It's not too late for you to take action now. Text Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-N, 
to 989898 and get a free info kit on diversifying and protecting your savings with precious metals. With an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers, text Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-N, to 989898. And get the real help from Birch Gold today. Again, text Bannon to 989898 to claim your free, no-obligation information kit on protecting your savings with gold. Over a prairie an old love that you've made new And this year when I count my blessings Okay, welcome back to the War Room. It is Thanksgiving morning, and you're here uh, in our Thanksgiving special. Uh, Larry Swikert, uh, the co-author of The Patriots History, is our guest. I want to thank him for taking the time away uh, from the family during this holiday season to do this with us. Larry, I think a question I always get when we have you on talk about the book, (laughs) the book is so amazing. I recommend everybody that hasn't had a chance, and it's a great holiday gift to give the Patriots history, no one you will give it to will ever say, Hey, I didn't love it. it, it it's, it's so, it's so grabbing. The writing of it's so grabbing. It's, it's amazing. What was the thousand, what was in the thousand pages you cut out? Because when you finish it, it's a pretty definitive history. Although I could, I could take another 5,000 pages of it. You know, I, I love the way you guys write and I, and I love history, but what was, what was the thousand pages? That you cut, and how tough was that? I know as a filmmaker, the biggest fights are always over what you take out of the film, and the biggest fights are those last couple of minutes you got to cut out. So, what were the fights like? What did you take? What were the thousand pages you took out? What were the topics, and how tough was it for you and Mike to do it? Well, we took out a lot of social history. I'll, I'll admit, I'm not I'm not as big on social history as many people are. We try to keep as much political and economic history, and. Uh, as I said, we had lots of these vignettes, uh, one page inserts on um, Daniel Boone or uh, you know, Mercy Otis Warren or somebody like that. And we ended up putting all that stuff on our website, um, on the Patriots History USA website. And now it's on the Wild World of History website free. And um, but I, as we were leaving last time, I, I didn't quite get to this point. So Mike and I wrote this okay so <laughs> that that's the size of the book we wrote that without ever meeting personally in the entire time we wrote it i had not met mike again since 1991 until a year after the book came out and we did a convention together uh we wrote the whole book through email and phone conversations and steve the most amazing thing about this is there will be passages where I will say to Mike, you know, Mike, I don't remember writing this. This doesn't seem like my wording or my language. And Mike would say, well, it sure isn't my wording or my language. I, I, I truly believe there was a divine spirit involved in writing this because it's just not either of our our words or phrases. And so we did get to that point. We actually came in at 1,200 pages. And Bernadette Malone, our great uh, editor, she cut what she could. And uh, there, we still had to get 200 more pages out of it. And uh, she said, guys, I can't do anything more. Your agent took a shot at it. He cut out 800 pages. I've cut out 200, but we still have to get 80,000 more words out of it. So she said, I'm going to an outside 
editor, a guy named David Fregoso. And David did an incredible job. Steve, if you could look at the cuts he made, they you go, how did he take that out and not change the flow at all? But he did. He was able to take out about 80,000 words and still keep the book to where it, it just flowed. People have to understand in the publisher, but 80,000 80, words <laughs> is a book today. I mean, that's a, that's a, the books you'll buy over the Christmas period. A lot of the, a lot of the books that we, that we, you know, uh, bring authors on to help uh, promote the book and, and, and reach the audience are 80,000 words. So he actually, the, the third guy that got to it took out basically another book. That, book. That's amazing. <laughs> I tell you, he took out a book. Really incredible. <laughs> Let me, let me, before we get into the, the specific Thanksgiving part, what was the uh, genius of it itself? You guys had been historians. You had taught history to college students. You weren't happy, even with some of the great texts that are out there. What was it when you first started off and never to have met, but what was it that said, hey, we, we need to tell the story this way? Or we need to let the story tell itself this way. But it comes out as very different. And that's why I think people love this so much, because you you don't avoid any of the controversies of American history. You don't avoid any of the, um, I don't want to say scars, but any of the, we're like, you know, we're fallen people like everybody in the Judeo-Christian West, you know, our, our core beliefs. You don't look away from uh, the faults of America, but you come away from your book. Uh, every time you're reading it and you stop, you feel kind of joyful or you feel like you're part of some greater, what I call task and purpose. How did you guys think of that at the time to actually conceive it and structure it that it would be like that? Well, Mike wrote the line in the introduction, I think kind of defines the book. And he said, uh, it's not my country uh, always right. Um, not my country right or wrong, but it is certainly not my country always wrong which is pretty much where most of the textbooks had gotten by the 1990s. It was just a litany of criticism and everything was starting even then to be framed in light of race, class, gender. So uh, obviously nothing that any of the founders did could possibly be right. So it's kind of an interesting story about development in that when Mike and I first write this, we knew that there was a key element to the American character, about what it was that made America special. But in the very first edition, we didn't quite nail it. We, we got close, uh, but we were still kind of grasping it, if you read that first introduction. And then as I went on to write uh, other books with another fellow, David Doherty, we wrote a Patriot's History of the Modern World. And um, in fact, I think I have that one here. This one. And um, yep. David... David said, you know, and by the way, this is an interesting story in itself. David was the first reviewer on Amazon to have a, a big review. He's the first review up. And at the time, he said a, a great, great book or a terrific book, but not without its faults. Faults are our book has faults. What, what faults do we have? And so at the time you could uh they they had the email addresses of the reviewers and i contacted david i said hey i'm the writer of this i i like to know your opinion what did we do wrong and so he started to tell me a few things i said wait a minute that's that seems to be a lot of stuff 
that you think we got wrong. So I said, I'll tell you what, I will pay you a token amount if you would go through the whole book and if you would just list every single error you think there is in there. And so he did. He, he sent me back 14 pages. Now, it wasn't all errors. A lot of it was was differences in interpretation and so on. But it was really eye-opening to see, okay, we, we need to clarify this and we need to address that. But the main thing Dave said was you don't come to grips with what it is to be uh, to have American exceptionalism. What is it that makes America exceptional? And, and I looked at our introduction. I thought, that's right. Uh, we kind of danced around that a little bit. And so Dave and I set out and then we, we got Mike involved again. And we came up with what we call the four pillars of American exceptionalism. And that defined the book. That, that's what really made the book uh, super special in that no one else has, has looked at this. And, and you can read um, things like Niall Ferguson or some of these other people who, who've looked at American exceptionalism, William Bennett, and they miss the boat. They're, they're just, you know, well, it's a written constitution. Well, I'm sorry. Cameroon has a written constitution. They got a, a dictator, you know, I mean, and so what we came up with was the, the four pillars of American exceptionalism. And that is a Christian, mostly Protestant religious tradition, which no other nation in the world had at its founding. None. Common law, uh, private property with written titles and deeds and a free market economy. And what's amazing is you find all four of those present in Plymouth at Thanksgiving. So let's go through that. Before we go to break, I want to go through that to set the framework for, for the uh, for the audience. We've got a couple of minutes. Walk us through. What are, the, what are the four pillars? Okay, so you have a Christian, mostly Protestant religious tradition. How does that differ from England? England's not Protestant. They were Anglican. They were a top-down religious structure. But the uh, pilgrims, the, the Puritans, were bottom up. They were congregational. Common law says that God puts the law in the hearts of the people and the people elect or select leaders to carry it out. Totally different from divine right of kings or what later came with Napoleon and civil law. Um, private property with written titles and deeds. Very important. We could spend 15 minutes just on this one. And it's far more important than most people realize and is woven into the Articles of Confederation in laws that I think are our most important laws, even aside from the Constitution. And then the last one's a free market economy, which, of course, makes it uh, possible for both Jamestown and, and Plymouth to survive, because until they changed to a free market economy, they were dying, literally dying. Larry, why don't we hang on for a second? We'll take a short break here on our... Uh on our Thanksgiving um, show. By the way, I want to make sure everybody goes to uh, mypillow.com promo code war room. Go there. We got the kickoff of the big, uh, the big sales, 90% off, 90% uh, off up to 90% off on some of these liquidations. Make sure you go check that. Take a short commercial break. Be back. The Patriots, history of the United States, we're going to talk about the four pillars of American exceptionalism and how they started with the pilgrims. The Puritans that this were the pilgrims year came to this nation. I count my blessing, thanking the Lord He made you. This year, when I count my blessings, I'm thanking the Lord He made you.
time comes to be going, it won't be in sorrow and tears. I'll kiss you goodbye and I'll go on the way, grateful for all of the years. I thank for all that you gave me, for teaching me what love can do. Thanksgiving Day for the rest of my life. It's hard to grasp why anyone would keep voting for record inflation, skyrocketing crime, and an open border. Likewise, why would anyone keep funding the left by sticking with the big carriers? Patriot Mobile is America's only and I repeat only, Christian conservative wireless provider. They want to make it easy for you to try their service. Give them 60 days to show you why I, Stephen K. Bannon, trust them right now. When you try Patriot Mobile for two months, you get a third month free, plus free activation. They offer nationwide coverage on the best 4G and 5G networks and use the same towers as all three of the major carriers. So you get the same great service while supporting a company that's fighting to preserve our God-given rights and freedom. Just go to PatriotMobile.com Bannon or call their 100% U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT. That's 972-PATRIOT. If you're fed up with the woke companies that don't care about your values, support a company that does. Make the switch today and get a free month of service plus free activation. That's PatriotMobile.com slash Bannon. That's PatriotMobile.com slash Bannon. Or call 972-PATRIOT. From their origins. Now, England has common law, but they they didn't have a uh, Protestant religious tradition from their, their origins, that is, the idea of bottom-up church governance. And, you know, our point is that this is what kind of imbued Americans with the idea of, of revolution, of um, uh, we, we aren't going to be dictated to from above, that everything has to come from, as Lincoln said, you know, of the people, for the people, by the people. It's got to be uh, from the populist base. Walk us through. Um, let's go to the beginning, the pilgrims. Now, I, I come from the Commonwealth of Virginia, and I remember as a little child, it would be these heated debates of whether the first Thanksgiving was at Jamestown or the first Thanksgiving were, were the pilgrims at the uh, at the colony in Massachusetts. So walk us through. What was it? Is the I think today, generally, the consensus is it was the pilgrims. Uh, is that is that true? Because both of these were very the Virginia Company was a collection of essentially I call them freebooters, right? Mm-hmm. Entrepreneurs, I guess you would say in your book. Whereas the Pilgrims were probably among the most serious religious people I think have been created on Earth. Larry Swikert. Well, um, you're both right. Uh, there were Thanksgivings in uh, Jamestown, and there were Thanksgivings in the uh, Plymouth Colony before the official Thanksgiving. But Plymouth was the first officially announced by the governor Thanksgiving holiday. So um, the reason that that we like to say that Plymouth and not Jamestown is the real focus of America's origin is that Jamestown, as you just mentioned, it did not have a Protestant religious tradition. They were all Anglicans. It did not have common law. They had a uh, they were directed by England and by the, the king oh, um, over there. Um, both of the colonies ended up with uh, 
private property, the written titles and deeds, and both eventually ended up with a free market economy, but not not at the uh, outset. So um, what makes Plymouth special is that it has these four qualities, these four pillars, all from the start. And uh, the last one to come along was uh, a free market economy, which they got in 1630 when they created a, a uh, grinding mill. And some of their number had to actually work the mill and be paid uh, in, in grain from the other farmers. They could no longer be farmers themselves, right? So um, what the two colonies did have in common, of course, was that they starved until uh, they they released socialism. They came over with a socialist uh, structure. And uh, you know what happened in Virginia, the, the starving time, they lost literally half of their colony. And, and the, the diaries and so forth say people were eating rats and dung and shoelaces. And, you know, my wife and I like to watch these uh, chopped these cooking shows. And the guy goes, open your basket, your market basket of goods. And, well, I've got a rat. I got dung. I got shoelaces and a rock. And I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'll make a nice rat puree and fry up some shoelaces, you know. So uh, uh, both of them had the same problem. And it was that socialism did not work. And in each case, they both said, OK, enough. Here's your land. Here's your land. Here's your land. Here's your grain. Here's your grain. Here's your grain. Beat it. You're on your own. John Smith, of course, said he who will not work will not eat. Governor Carver was much the same way. William Bradford, who was a young man at the time, said it was as if we thought we were wiser than God to have this. He wouldn't have called it socialist, but to have this socialist system. So that's what saved them. And, of course, allowed uh, the pilgrims to even have a Thanksgiving was they had an abundance for the first time after they got rid of this socialist structure. They, they lived in people, you know don't realize they lived in pretty tough and dangerous times. I mean, okay. you'd had, I guess, you know, the English Civil War you got, and these people were considered uh, radicals. I mean, today in the United States, they would be considered kind of fringe, right? right. I mean, and they went okay. to, and when they left England and went to Holland, they were kind of kicked out of there because they're, they were not easy to get along with, right? They had their, they had a worldview that was quite different than the accepted norm. And I, I think people kind of miss that, as as the founders of our country, they came here. Not only did they were a little ornery, uh, they're very tough people. Obviously kind, but very tough. But they had a unique vision of the world that was not acceptable to their to their own mother country. Correct. Right. Hence the name separatists. Right. But what's so interesting is that when the pilgrims come over, uh, half their number are not Puritans. They are called strangers. Uh, so the, one of the most amazing things is, is on the Mayflower before they ever get off and, and go uh, ashore, they, they draft this compact and it does three things. Now you, people will remember that they, they landed off course. They landed up in Massachusetts as opposed to, they're supposed to be down in Virginia. And technically that put them at risk of being called traitors. I mean, they weren't where they were supposed to be, weren't where the king told them they could be. And so in this Mayflower Compact, the first thing they did was they pledged their allegiance to the king. Oh, king, oh, dude, man, we love you, man. <laughs> we're not trying to, we're, we're not trying to uh, be rebels here. 
The second thing they did was to um, establish that the strangers were going to be treated as equal members of society, even though they weren't pilgrims or Puritans. And um, the third thing they did was they established that they were going to elect their own governor. That's common law. So this is uh, amazing. And you look at the Mayflower Compact, it's a short little document, right? And, and that they accomplished these three things was uh, really quite remarkable. And so from the outset, they, they said, we believe this way. And we firmly believe this. And you might know that the pilgrims, uh, the Puritans at the time, to be accepted into their church, you had to go through quite a process. You had to give your conversion story. And it, it better be a good one. And you couldn't just say, well, I kind of thought about it and I decided I like Jesus. No, that wasn't going to do it. You had to you had to say, well, I was I was drinking four bottles of Jim Beam a day and I was mainlining mayonnaise. I was just shooting mayonnaise right in my veins and I hit rock bottom. And that's when I decided I needed God. And you had to have a good conversion story for these guys. And um, the problem, of course, came over time is who's really saved? How do we know who is really saved? And this, of course, is one of the problems for any religious group. How do we know, know who's truly accepted by God and who isn't? And, and their, their solution to this was the halfway covenant, right? Uh, we're, if, you, if you say you're a Christian, we're going to accept that you're a Christian. And that's how they, they finally got around all that. They barely talk about when they came, particularly in the Mayflower, these boats are incredibly small. It was a very tough passage. And then when they get here, they, they barely hang on. I mean, they have to bring and, and people got to think back. This is a very hostile environment and just daily survival is, is difficult. Walk us through that. Had they even got a foothold before the abundance uh, came and they were and, and they could give thanks to God. I mean, they barely hung on. I mean, it was it, it was it was a hair's breadth of the experiment being uh being a failure like in Roanoke uh Island and other places that are trying to get a foothold here in North America. Well, the first thing they did, uh, people kind of think that the Mayflower arrived and they hopped on these little boats and they they rowed ashore. And that wasn't the case. They stayed on the Mayflower for some time as they sent out scouting parties and they they looked around. Uh, one of the great myths is that they took the land from the Indians. Absolutely not true. The Indians had evacuated that land many, many years earlier because apparently of a plague. We're not sure, but most anthropologists think they left because of signs of a plague. And so, I mean, how's that for an inauspicious beginning? You're landing in a plague zone. And when they finally do come ashore, uh, their first task is to set up some really cruddy little huts that, that are going to be cold like Nothing you can believe. They can't seal these things off. So they're going to be incredibly cold. If you have to have a window, you have to tape, not tape, you had to a nail over a cloth over the window to close the window. I mean, they didn't have glass. Um, they had dirt floors, you know. Sometimes you could get hay or thatch on the floor. But basically dirt floor. You can imagine trying to vacuum that. It's going to be a problem. And so much of their early food came from the sea and they would they would uh, fish a lot mussels and clams a lot of of seafood and so on um they brought english growing methods 
not all of them were suited to Massachusetts. And uh, of course they could hunt, uh, but you don't always find the game you need when you need to hunt. And so eventually what happened was that with the uh, uh, socialist system of land ownership, uh, people were doing less and less work. There, there wasn't the incentive necessary for people to invest in the land and, and really improve the land. And then at about the same time that they um, decide to ditch that system, uh, they meet Squanto, this Indian who spoke uh, English. And this is another thing that the uh, pilgrims did not have to deal with that the guys in Jamestown did, which the people in Jamestown were under constant Indian attack all the time. I mean, they had to really, anytime you go out to work fields, you had to post a guard. Um, this wasn't the situation with the uh, Plymouth colony as much, and they made uh, friends or at least uh, uh, cordial relations with the Indian tribes there. And, and this is an important point that I think uh, our viewers need to understand. I, 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 Larry, why don't you hold that right there? I'm going to okay. use it to uh, keep the audience hanging as we come back. This is absolutely fascinating. Of course, um, what about divine providence that, the, that you come upon a, uh, a, a, an Indian in the middle of a primordial forest that speaks English? We're going to find out about uh, Squanto in the Plymouth oh, Colony next when we return to the world. And this year when I count my blessings I'm thanking the Lord he made you and This year when I count my blessings I'm thanking the Lord he made you the time comes to be going you don't be in sorrow and tears I'll kiss you goodbye and I'll go on the way grateful Americans are discovering that if we want to change this nation we have to change the way the marketplace works look woke corporations are seeking to divide us big banks are freeing the freezing the accounts of people who disagree with their political views and our supply chain is dependent upon countries that actively work against our values, like the Chinese Communist Party. It's time for a change, and that change starts with you and your wallet. That's why I'm proud to partner with Public SQ, the largest network of patriotic, freedom-loving businesses and consumers our nation has ever seen. Public SQ is the first app to connect freedom-loving Americans with their local community and the businesses that share their values. Whether you want to support a restaurant that only buys from local farms, a coffee shop that took a stand against COVID mandates, or a bank that can never cancel you for your political views, Public SQ is your guide. There's also interactive, sensor-free community groups where you can connect with other local members. And here's the best part of it. It's absolutely free to join. Just download the Public SQ app from the Apple Store or Google Play. Create an account and begin your search. You can also list your business for free so your local community can support you. Download the app today, Public SQ. That's Public SQ, Public SQ. Go to the Apple App Store or Google Play. Take action. Do this today. Getter has arrived. The new social media taking on big tech, protecting free speech, and canceling cancel culture. 
Join the marketplace of ideas. The platform for independent thought has arrived. Superior technology. No more selling your personal data. No more censorship. No more cancel culture. Enough. Getter has arrived. It's time to say what you want the way you want. Download now. The color of blue in your sweet eyes. Okay, welcome back. Thanksgiving morning. If you're on the road or at home, appreciate you uh, either watching, listening, or on the podcast later. The co-author of the Patriots' history of the United States, Larry Swiker, joins me. So, Larry, you left us hanging. Give us the punchline. Okay, well... um, I found this in the break. I wanted your your viewers to hear this. This is uh, uh, Bradford describing what happened under under their socialist system. He said, um, young men that were most fit and able for labor and service did repine (laughs) that they should spend their time and strength to work for other men's wives and children without any recompense. We thought it was injustice. And... uh, the colonists, uh, after they, they changed and, and divided up the territory, saw, quote, no want, W-A-N-T-E, that summer. And, of course, that's when they meet uh, a Squanto. And um, I made the point that the uh, colonists did not take the Indians' land, um, but, but rather the Indians at the time, and this is something people just kind of forget or miss, they didn't see the white man as an existential threat to their civilization. Maybe they should have, but they didn't. Instead, they viewed the whites as just one more Indian tribe. And so you constantly see alliances uh, between the Iroquois and the Mohawk and the Huron and all these different Indian groups and white groups, whether they're British or French. And that's why you end up with something called the French and Indian War. The French did not fight the Indians in the French and Indian War. The French and Indians fought the British. And um, so it was quite common for these tribes, uh, often for very short periods of time, to ally with with whites, to ally with the colonists, both at Jamestown and at Plymouth, in order to get an advantage over uh, another tribe. This is one thing I think, I I think a lot of people that, um, you know, attack uh, Americans or the whites for taking the land, these, they had a very sophisticated alliances. And they were continually flip-flopping. And the tribes were almost, con- this wasn't, it's not like you came into some peaceable kingdom. They were constantly at war with each other. And in fact, I think the pilgrims arrived in, in, at an inflection point uh, of this conflict. And Squanto was looking, he was representing his tribe looking for an ally. T- tell about the, or tell about how the surprise, but how a, a, a Native American kind of appears out of nowhere and he speaks Pretty good English. How did how did that happen, and how shocked were uh, Bradford in the uh, in the Plymouth uh, colony? Well, uh, you know, uh, Squanto had been captured earlier by a, another expedition, taken back to England, where he was basically a slave for a short time, and then he I, I forget exactly how he returned, but he, he returns there. So obviously, these guys are going. Well, this guy speaks English. He probably spoke English better than some of them, right? Um, but your point uh, reminded me uh, of where you say that this was not a peaceable kingdom. These uh, Indian tribes were engaged in alliances. Uh, I used to teach a course called Technology and the Culture of War, which is kind of a military history course. And I would show a picture of a group of um, 
Apaches, and they were wearing U.S. Army cavalry uniforms. And they were cavalry scouts. They were personnel for the U.S. Army who were going after other tribes that they didn't like, right? So this was this is a very common stratagem among all of the early uh, early tribes, and and again they didn't figure out that the whites were the biggest threat to them uh, until much much later. Talk to us about how did they come up with the concept? What did they have to go through that they came with the concept as a group that they wanted to set aside time to actually give thanks, give thanks to God. This was very common. I mean, uh, obviously, they had regular church services. Uh, their number of church services would probably make most of us blanch. Or we couldn't. Nobody today could sit through an all day church service on Sunday as they did every every Sunday. Right. I mean, it was very common to do that. Um, and uh, they had set aside many of these days of Thanksgiving already, as I said, as they had in, in Jamestown. So it was it was a very common thing to to say we, we need to acknowledge that uh, our, our gifts came from God. Um, but uh, Carver decided to uh, set aside this one particular day after for the first growing season, they really had a surplus. Uh, otherwise, they had just been getting by, as we said. And so this was the first time they had a surplus. And it's not what many of the teachers say that the the Pilgrims were giving thanks to the Indians for bringing them stuff. Now, they did teach them how to grow some potatoes, yes, but no, they were giving thanks to God, and they invited the Indians to join in their ceremony, which they did. Um, I tell you what, let's. Uh, what I want to do is I want to take a break. We're going to take a break at the top of the hour. Uh, we're going to come back, and I want to talk about um, the four pillars to bring it forward. We're going to talk about Lincoln. We're going to talk about the um, um, the 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 holiday going forward, and how and what it's meant to American history. TPUSA dot com slash war room. We're going to have this big gathering. It's actually the seventeenth. I've been saying the sixteenth. It's the seventeenth, I think, through the twentieth in Metro Phoenix. Uh, Tucker Carlson is going to be there. Candace Owens is going to be there. I'm going to be there. Of course, Charlie Kirk and the team at Turning Point USA is going to put it on. And they um, and they got Jack Posobiec. You have Darren Beatty. Many, many of the people you see on the War Room uh, all the time as our contributors will be there, plus much more. It's going to be quite intense and really lay out a path to go forward in 2023. So I want to thank uh, Charlie and everybody for putting it on and inviting us. Also, if you go to tpusa.com slash worm, you can get, Charlie's got the book, The College Scam, right? That talks about uh, the cartels that run college and you get a sense of that trillion dollars that a federal judge has told uh, the Biden regime. They can't just fob that off on working class people. You got to get Congress to pass a law about it. But you understand the college cartel and why you're paying for deadbeat, uh, Social justice warriors that can't get real employment. Okay, we're going to take a short break. Larry Swiker, the co-author of The Patriot's History of the United States. By the way, a gift that you give it for the holidays. People will always thank you. An incredible, incredible book. Fifth edition, 34th printing. Be back in a moment with our Thanksgiving special. War Room Posse, you already know free speech is under constant attack by the swamp and their big tech allies. They resell your communications and personal data 
while lecturing and laughing at you. I've got the solution. Unplugged Systems, a secure communications company, has an app suite you can install on any Android phone, including its own uncancelable app store, VPN, antivirus, and highly encrypted messenger better than Wicker, Signal, Telegram, or anything else. None of your message or VPN traffic is stored, analyzed, or sold. Claim your security for only $10 a month. Go to their website, unplugged.com. That's unplugged.com slash warroom to install the Unplugged Suite. It's secure. It's private. It's the way we stay connected and informed. Get it now. Take action, action, action. Use your agency. They put Peter Navarro in leg irons for simply doing his constitutional duty. Now they want to put Peter in prison for standing up for Donald Trump. Please go to Amazon right now and order Taking Back Trump's America to help fund Peter's legal defense. Taking Back Trump's America provides a critical MAGA blueprint to put Trump back in the White House in 2024. Buy Taking Back Trump's America on Amazon today. If they can put Peter Navarro in prison, they can come for all of us. Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code WARROOM at checkout to save 67%. Do it again. WARROOM HEALTH, all one word, WARROOMHEALTH.COM. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there. Do it today. Check it out. 